Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley, and uh, today is 2-17-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your, ex your extreme care over us, um, more than we can understand. Thank you for those who are on this call, and, and uh, we pray for wisdom as we open your word. We pray our, that we are the kind of worshipers that you seek, those who worship in spirit and in truth. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as we said earlier, we are studying in Romans chapter 8, and we are at verse, uh, in our notes, we, we left off in the middle. Um, I think we're right at, uh, verse 39, uh, let's see where scripture will, either we took two verses and that was aggressive last week, but I think we can, you know, have enough time to cover this week. So yeah, so we, we're in, still in 38, we're at the phrase, neither the present nor the future. Uh, nor any powers in 38. We'll, we're getting to that as we continue. So, as we do, what we're going to do this time, So, because we want to make sure we have enough time, we're going to hold all questions until the end, if we have time, but we're going to focus our attention on Romans. So hopefully you have notes from last week, and you're able to put your finger on those. So just in recap... Let's read Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we, we covered the first four points. One, for I am convinced. We talked about what that meant. It's the word patho. And to be, it means to be persuaded. Who would we be possibly persuaded by? And it is the apostle. And I'm sorry, it would be the God, the Holy Spirit. But here, the point is that Paul said he is the one that is convinced. I don't want to just assume that we are convinced as well. We probably may not be convinced, but we should know that we should be because uh, the conclusions that Paul came to here after looking at this is he's confident in this. And, you know, by God the Holy Spirit teaching us through the Apostle Paul, the intention is that we are also confident. Now, when we get to those things, neither death nor life, these are tough things. All the things that are spoken here are tough. And what he's saying is, you are very special to me because of your calling in Christ. God is saying, no matter what, you don't have to worry about anything, even death. Well, you say, well, death could be horrible. You know, I could die a miserable, horrible death. What about that? I'm afraid. Now, all those things are possible. 
But we have to come to understand what God the Holy Spirit has given us. And death is not something that we have to worry about. Now, we're not saying that we weren't walk out in front of a big truck coming down the road and, hey, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that we will come to this battlefield and we will present ourselves as those who are uh, in Christ and we will perform the mission that we have been called to do. And nothing should be able to dissuade us or to cause us to have fear when it comes to what we know is the greatest plan that ever was. And we're talking about that the reason we're here is to bring many sons into glory. We are those sons. So we are sure that nothing can stop God from doing what he wants to do. And there is, there is thought, there is some thought about the angelic conflict and things like that. You know, people talk about, well, Satan is going to do this, and then God is going to do that, and then angels and God are in this conflict. I Listen, nothing can stop what God has planned from eternity past to come to, to, come to pass. And we read about it a, a lot in Romans 8, about what will happen in the future, and the impact that these sons of God will have on not only this creation, but it will bring about the new creation. I mean, it, we impact the world and the universe in such a way as uh, no creature can stop what is inevitable. And this is why when we look at such verses as we, he's convinced of this, and as we grow in grace, I think we will all come to the place where we're convinced as well. That nothing in death, nothing in life, no angel. I mean, this is not uh, something where we have to worry about the fallen angels. God has told us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not, it's, it's not even close to where we, we almost made it or something. no. We're more than conquerors. And when it comes to this, there is no angel. Even though when it talks about our wrestling is with, you know, principalities and powers, it's not with flesh and blood, and talks about for us to be armed and all that. But none of that can defeat us. We are already conquerors. Christ already gained the victory in this world. We don't have to regain the victory. All we have to do is walk in his victory. We're, we're not trying to, we can't be overcome. Even if Satan overcomes me in some way, in other words, I'm weak and for, for whatever reason, that is not going to take me out of the plan of God for me. The weakest believer in this age. I mean, the one who has believed in Christ and just like it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he shall suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet as one escaping through the flames. Well, even that believer can't be defeated by Satan or any demons. We don't have to worry about any conflict between angels and Satan. We already know how it's going to end, don't we? We know that God is going to get the victory. We, we've, we've got the rest of the story. 
So we don't have to worry about nothing that happens in death or life can separate us. Nothing, no angel, no demon can separate us from the love of Christ. And when we say, just and as a reminder, when we say the love of Christ, we're not just talking about um, that, you know, Christ's love for us. We're talking about the Father's love of Christ, meaning that in Christ, all of his eternal purpose rests. And his love speaks of his motivation for uh, his plan, which is centered in Christ, to be fulfilled. And nothing can stop uh, the love of Christ. So no matter what happens, we're in Christ. So when it says the love of Christ, he's talking about us. Nothing can separate us from this because we're in the plan. He For those he... For knew he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Right in the chapter. He's not talking about Christ himself. He's We are the subject here. And we are the objects of that love. The love. What is love? The motivation for the Father to fulfill his purposes. To bring many sons into glory. So, so that love of Christ is not just talking about, oh, that's salvation. And, you know, I did some reading on just, you know, going through some of the commentaries that I have, probably 10 or 12 of them to go through. All of them, I, I don't even want to say all of them, I'll say most of them, have related these verses to how glorious a salvation we have. And listen, I'm not taking away from whether or not our salvation is glorious or not. That's not the point. But what I'm saying here is it's not referring to salvation. And salvation is is grand, but this is referring to our calling, which happens to be in Christ. So when you when, when it this is God's love for us who happen to be in Christ. And that is the plan of God. That's not just, oh, well, he saved us by grace. That's the plan of God that we, he chose us in him for the creation of the world. He didn't choose everybody who has salvation in Christ. He only chose us in this particular age. So now, and, and he didn't even reveal what his plan was to people in other ages. They didn't even know there would be such a thing as those many sons that he's calling into glory, who are conformed to the image of his son, Christ. So, it's special. It's very special. And the fact that people would miss the whole import of this and start talking about, oh, salvation is wonderful. Wow, how glorious it is. Is definitely testimony to the fact that Satan is busy trying to hide the mystery. He's trying to make sure people don't understand the import of what God's eternal purpose actually is. So, enough introduction of where we were and all of that. we we got to get back to the, to the notes. So we already said neither angels nor demons. This is where we left off. And so there isn't, yes, it looks like God will 
at the end, angels will revolt. Demons will fight on this earth. It will be horrible. And it will be supernatural things going on that are not going on now. And people will will see these things and they'll be understanding and, and used to them more so than they are now. But yeah, there are such things as demons out there. And they're going to be active. And then God is going to bring judgments on the earth and so forth. So, But even with all of that, even in the tribulation, all you got to do is read Revelation down toward the end and you can be, be sure that God will prevail. And people will see evil for what evil really is. So we're going to continue to see what else God says about um, the love, the motivation that the Father has to complete his eternal purpose, for which we should add all things were created. So we're at point four. Neither the present nor the future. So, as I say, nothing that happens in the present or the future can separate us from the love of Christ. Now, that statement all by itself uh, is clear. Uh, you couldn't have read that in the Old Testament, just to note. The only way you could read this is in the New Testament. This is not God is not saying nothing for Israel. This is only about those who are in this church age. So, so we have to say present. We can't say nothing that happened in the present from Adam until because God didn't even reveal what his plan was in the past. Notice he didn't say nothing that happened in the past. Nothing. He, it's nothing that happens in the present. That means now, because we were talking about the church age. Or the future. If somebody said that nothing that can happen in the present or the future... That's control. That means God has control over human history. Now, it doesn't mean that he supersedes uh, the volition of those who are in the future or present. He knows that nothing has power in the present and nothing has power in the future that could possibly separate us from the plan of God. It's fixed. Our destiny is fixed. And nothing can move that. Now you could you could you could speculate and say, well, wait a minute. So you're saying that nothing that happens in the present or nothing that happens in the future can separate us from the love of Christ. Now, I could think of a lot of things that could happen in the future. But you know what this is really meant meaning for us to understand? Is that we can can relax and embrace the position God has called us to. We're not to be fearful. We're not to, to be worried about our uh, present circumstances. It could be suffering. It could be persecution. Remember that you're on the battlefield. You could die. Remember, even in death, what happens? Well, we're, as soon as we close our eyes in death, we open them face-to-face -face with the Lord, present with the Lord in heaven. That's what happens if we die. So that doesn't separate us from the plan of God. In fact, there are people who right now are, are who are in Christ, but they are, and, and they are in heaven. 
So even when you read Thessalonians, God's going to bring, when he comes, when Jesus comes, he says he will bring with him those who are asleep in Christ. They're in heaven. What's sleeping? Their bodies, not their soul and spirit. Their soul and spirit is in heaven, present with the Lord. God's going to have to, so he accounts for them even later. He says, yeah, well, he's going to have to bring them. What happened? Somebody could say, what happens to those who are dead? He explains it in detail. He's going to bring them. And so, so it doesn't matter. And in fact, there's Romans 14, which I believe, I think it's 14. So it says, or it might be 15. Let me just put my finger on it real quick. Yeah, here, it's 14. So it says, Romans 14, 7, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. That's here on earth. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It does not matter. Whether you live or die. And just to know, we are going to die. If we, co- if we keep on living, we will eventually die on this earth. We'll be in that category of we died. And it will not affect our status as church age believers, as those who are in Christ. It will not, it cannot affect it. And he says, it doesn't matter. We belong to the Lord. For this very reason, verse 9, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord, get this, of both the living or the dead and the living. Now, he says he's Lord of over the dead. That means people who have passed from this life to the next, present with the Lord. He's still Lord over them right now. So these scriptures are clear. Death is not any deterrent. You know what that means? We might as well fully just go on and serve the Lord wholeheartedly, unreservedly, without fear or worry about those who may come in opposition against us. Yes, they may prevail when it comes to persecution. Yes, we may suffer, but don't let that worry you because it doesn't matter just go ahead. You know, I was reading something. This is years ago. And it was, uh, I forget, was I think it was, his, his name was J.C., I think it was Ryle or something like that. But the, the point he was making in this was, as Christians, we are meant to, ex- to expend ourselves. Right. We, you know, I've seen sports where they talk about, okay, this is the last inning or the last quarter or last minutes. We're going to leave it all on the field. That's what they say. And this guy was saying how, as Christians, we have to do the same thing. And he said, if we're just like a light bulb. And if we burn out, then that's good, because then that was what a light bulb served its purpose and it burned out. That's fine. That is not to say we lament that the light bulb burned out. We we look at that and say, okay, that was a job well done. The person lived a life. They gave it all and on the battlefield and 
their time was done. That can happen to us. Or any, no matter what happens, we're going to die, as you already know. I'm not trying to be morbid about it. But that's the case. All of us. And we're not going to sit around and talk about, well, how did you go, man? How did you go? It's going to be inconsequential. Especially if death is just one, a transition from one place to the next. It's not going to be any lamenting or, wow, I wish I would have not made that decision. I could have lived 10 more years or whatever. You, none of that's going to matter. You have entered the eternal state. And we are calling. And nothing that God is going to do will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. So we have nothing to worry about. We can fully give ourselves to the Lord. And if we had uh, some injury, you know how people have injuries and they say, well, you know, I got to be watching out because I, I can't, I got to favor that leg or that arm. I can't go full out. But no, you can go full out. You don't have to worry about what people think, what kind of problems would occur from you having to expend yourself and for people to see who you are. None of those things. Let yourself, as the scripture says, give yourself to the work of the Lord wholeheartedly. That means unreservedly, un uninhibited, not afraid, and just allow yourself to fight, to contend in this world. Now, of course, before you do that, you have to give yourself to the Lord, to let him, to be mighty and strong, to allow him to walk in you. So it is not something where we expose ourselves. It is allowing Christ to, to live himself, his life out in us as believers. So as nothing in the future, nothing. I mean, no matter what you think about, it can't separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. So point B, nothing happening now, nothing happening now, or anything that can happen in the future, uh, this is no exaggeration. All things were created for the Father's purpose to bring many sons into glory. You are in the plan of God, come what may. Does not matter what happens in the future. Now, point C is we cannot know the future. <laughs> so, but God does. We can be sure God knows everything that's going to happen in the future. Uh, it's, and I say, but God does, and there is nothing there that we have to worry about. And if God is telling us nothing that can happen in the future can separate you from the plan. Your destiny is the plan. You're not going to live on this earth anyway, no matter what. So you might as well go ahead and give yourself fully to the Lord. So that's that's the scripture. I, I you know you'll find that I quote the scripture a lot, and sometimes I'll end with it, and because I love the scripture, it's in First Corinthians 15. I'm going to read it, and uh, you probably heard it before you've been listening anytime <laughs> so it goes it's in 58 therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord 
is not in vain. It's just a scripture that it just reminds me that this is the most honorable, the most uh, eternity rewarding pursuit that could you, you could possibly have in this world. Nothing could be higher in terms of priorities or desires. This is the greatest thing ever, to be able to serve the Father's eternal purpose, to be able to walk in your calling. So I love this verse. It's, it tells you what to do, how to do it, the motivation we need, let nothing move you, nothing deter you. Nothing that can happen now or in the future, we have to worry about. Point number five, nor any powers. So there is no power that is able to separate us from the love of Christ. Now, when we talk about powers, we are over all powers. I'm going to read that from Ephesians chapter one. I'm sorry this is not in your notes, but Ephesians one. So if we look at verse 17 and following, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And here it is, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So the inheritance that we have, who we are as those who are in Christ, and what God has called us to, the position that he has called us to, is immense. So we can talk about these riches, and we have in the past. But I want to focus on the second part of it. And, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Remember we talked about there is no power. This is where we are in our verse. Nor any powers. Why? So, because this is the position to which we have been raised. This power, and it, and it talks about it, this power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, do you think, and we know Christ is seated at the right hand, but this is a simile, right? This is like well, what do you mean it's like? It, it, it says not even like, it's the same as this power. That when we think about Christ, we can say, would God the Father let anything happen to Christ? Would God the Father let anything happen to Christ? And there is absolutely no way that anything could ever happen to Christ. Not only has he died, buried and has been raised by the father and seated in the heavenly realms right and this is looking what he says um far verse 21 far above all rule authority power and dominion and every name or title when it says name that's what it's referring to that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come so this, this height to which Christ has been raised is just the, the same height to which we have been raised. Above 
not just above all rule and power and authority and all that, but far above all rule, power, and authority. Above any name, now or in any future age. We are already in Christ. And when, how do we get there? Just to know, we, just because of our choosing, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There it is. That's where we are, literally, or I should say positionally, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's where we are. So there's no power that is strong enough to affect a change. No power. There is no power that can do that. Whether they be things in heaven, and this is things on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is Colossians 1.16. So Christ is the one who created all these powers and they were created for him, notice. Not everything is under the authority of Christ. And there is another one in Ephesians 1. I keep jumping around if I keep thinking about it. So, here it is, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In heaven refers to the universe and on earth, meaning everywhere, especially earth, will be under Christ. There is no power right, that, that can supersede now or any future age. It doesn't matter. Point C, to note, our free will is a power created and given to us by God. It cannot separate us. I only put that in. I know it seems silly, but... It is because people read these verses and they don't believe in eternal security. We're not even talking about salvation, but in their minds, they feel that these verses are too dogmatic and they have to fight them in some way in order to maintain their stance, stance on eternal, that you can lose your eternal salvation. So they say, well, you can separate yourself. How do you do it? By just telling God you don't want to be in Christ anymore. By repudiating your salvation. You have the power to remove yourself from Christ. Even though God chose you in him from the foundation of before time began, before the creation of the world, you now in time can free yourself from all of that by just your the power of your own will. And I listen, how silly as it sounds, I've heard people say that. So you should know, how did you get free will? God created you. He created you and he gave you the power of free will. He didn't give that power to everybody. Angels don't have, uh, angels have it. Man has it. But animals don't have the power of free will. 
other forms of life, fish or, you know, whatever, they don't have free will. They operate based on instinct. And so free will is something that God created and he gave it to us, uh, angels and man. So that that's a power. And it cannot separate us under nor any powers from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. There is no power greater than the Father's plan. Point number six. Neither height nor depth. So, height up, depth down. So, nothing in the heavens, nothing above, whether it be the heavens where the demons actually dwell, the angels and the demons dwell, or whether it's in God's heaven, or God from the heavens, we have to say nothing above, which means that even in heaven, God will not. We already address, will God, who will condemn those that God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And no one is the answer. Only God. And would God do it? Absolutely not, Paul says. If Christ died, not only that, the Father wouldn't do it. He's the one that sent Christ. And he did not even spare his one and only son, but gave him over to judgment for us all. Why? How can he not with him also graciously give us all things? How could he be possible? Christ is the one who died. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. So dismiss the fact that nothing above, nothing below, and there are Hades, there's compartments in Hades, there's the abyss. So nothing above that is in the heavens, nothing below. That means Hades, the abyss, all the different compartments below. There is nothing in there, no angelic power. And some angels will rise out of the abyss in some of those compartments in the tribulation. And they will be very powerful angels and they will wreak havoc on the earth. But nothing there can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in heaven, in the heavens, nothing below can change our status from the Father's plan of what God and his eternal purpose has created in us. Now this this is big. This is huge. This is what we should be talking about when we when we think about uh heavenly things, what God has called us to. Right? Well, don't put your mind on things below, on earthly things, but keep thinking about heavenly things. This is our quest. Point number seven. Uh, nor, here, this, this point number seven is just in case. Nor anything else in all creation. So nothing in all all creation. Just think about that. Creation, God has the understanding of everything he created in time. So he, he, he can tell you, he's, he says he's the alpha and the omega. That means the beginning and the end. So God knows everything from the very beginning, the moment he created all things, to the moment all things uh, you know, are over. In other words, human history is over. Angelic history is over. He knows the beginning to the end, everything. 
And God is saying, nothing nor anything else in all creation, if he missed anything, can separate us from the love of Christ. I said, only God is over all creation, point B, and could possibly make that statement. We can't say nothing else. We don't even know everything that's all. We don't understand all the powers, but guess who does? God. God is saying, don't worry, nothing in all creation. So point C, I said, just in case something is missed, just in case you thought, yeah, but it, no, neither the present nor the future, nothing, no power, nothing else in all creation. This is, if there was anything else that you could think of, this should catch it. So that's what it says. Anything else. In other words, you fill in the blank. You tell me what you're worried about. You tell me what you're fearing. And put that in the blank. And, and yeah, that can't do it either. So nothing else. Nor anything else. I don't know what else he could say. Like what, what more could Paul say to say that the mystery is solid that the mystery is something that you can understand that you're not of this world and this is who you are this is what god has called you to something that is so far above now listen when it comes to salvation nobody who has salvation can it, it, it can't be overturned but this is not even talking about salvation just like ephesians 1 where it talks about well, let me just read it since i'm right there and he says, uh, uh, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed here, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So this is it for, for believers. All you had to do is believe. And then because of your calling in this age, we're in Christ. And, and if anybody is in new Christ, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. And that, that is the subject here, as we have read all the way in Ephesians 1. He's just telling us how we got there. So this is not about whosoever reaches the heights of spiritual growth, whoever does. None of that. This is the moment you believe in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Now this only happens, remember, in this age... This does not happen in any other age where the Holy Spirit seals us, right? And, and what is the sealing? It's not the same sealing as in what we read in Revelation chapter 7 for uh, Israel, where God has, he says, don't hurt the earth or the sea or anything in it until I have sealed the servants of our God. Uh, that is something different. That's God forming the nation Israel again. And he talks about 12,000 from this tribe were sealed and 12,000 from that tribe were sealed. And so, so we're talking about a different plan. Not a different plan, but a different uh, restoration. And that is God is restoring the nation Israel after the church is gone. So this Holy Spirit, this promised Holy Spirit, it's a seal. We receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit the moment we believe in Christ, according to to Ephesians 1.13. 1.14, what is it? Who is a deposit? Deposit is, is just a down payment. It's just a foretaste of, of glory divine. 
is just a small portion of what is yet to come. When we get it, we got the Holy Spirit, which is the deposit. And what does it do? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The moment God included you in Christ, that he chose you to be in Christ, you are now God's possession to the praise of his glory. It guarantees that. That's what we're after here in understanding, is that we're not just, these verses are a guarantee of your inheritance and your position in Christ. Nothing is able to separate you. So let's continue the verse. Uh, nothing, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able, this is point number eight, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's talk about that, and we're going to have to probably close. Will be able, dunamé, that means like the power of dynamite, or, or will have power, to be able to have power, whether by virtue of one's own ability and resources, or a state of mind, or through favorable circumstances, or by permission of, of law or custom, to be able to do something, to be capable, strong, and powerful. Nothing is able, and this is the word able. In other words, when we think about the ability to do something, right? The equipping or power to do something. Nothing, it says, will be able to separate us right, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So point B, there is no power greater than God. That's what we have to figure. Nobody can beat God. I mean, if you got, if greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we could extend that to the universe. So in order to be confident here relies on us knowing God's eternal purpose. If we don't know God's eternal purpose, if we're ignorant about who God is and all the details, then we can somehow uh, allow fear, uh, worry. Uh, we could start filling in blanks that we don't have with things that shouldn't be there. And end up in a place where we don't have confidence and we're worried about what will happen tomorrow and what the future may bring and what if we were to even turn inward and say look at our behavior uh, you know uh, it's terrible and you know we haven't done anything and God how could we be saved I mean after after all salvation is a it's a gift remember we can, when we're ignorant we can start filling in the blanks with things that don't belong there we have to be making sure we understand the word of truth and allow statements and, and passages such as these to rule in our hearts. So point, point C is God did not create a power greater than this, including the free will of angels or man or their capabilities. So you don't have the capabilities. What you have is not able 
to separate us from the love of Christ. What angels have is not able to separate us from the love of Christ. We don't have the power. Only God can. No one can, can do anything other than what God has done. So these assurances remind me of God's eternal guarantee. That's, and that is the one we just read earlier. About And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Yeah, we, when we read that, 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 one of the things that I think about when I think about the sealing is that it is given to us for our confidence, for our cognizance of what God has done for us. I mean, God didn't, he could have just said, yeah, I just need you to believe it by faith. I just need you to read and know that all these things are so. But no, the sealing ministry is God saying to us, I want you to have intimate understanding about what I've done. I, I don't want you to just think you're a son. I need you to feel like you're a son. That's what the sealing ministry is. And its sister verse is in Romans 8, 15, and 16. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. This is 8, 15. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's no doubt about it. And this is the confidence that we have. Not in, well, I'm saved. No, in the fact that I'm, just like it says here, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm, I'm an heir of God. That's the next reasoning. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. This is the strength of what God has given us. He didn't just say, well, your son, believe it by faith. He says, no, I'm going to give you the sealing ministry of the Spirit. I'm going to have the Spirit himself testify with your spirit that we are, in fact, God's children. This is, this is assurance. This is for us to be able to go out unashamedly, unreservedly, and fully give ourselves to the work of the Lord. We don't have anything to worry about. God has us. So this is uh, the end of Romans 8, and we're going to do a review next week. We'll talk more about it. Because uh, there are some fantastic things that we should review. I don't want to ever forget what God has called us to. And who we are in Christ. What it means. The impact that we'll have on all creation. We'll talk about that next week. So um, we're going to pause to see if there are any follow-up questions before we close. I just had a quick question. Um, sure. 
referred back to the beginning of the sermon back in point four. Um, one of the points that you were making was about giving ourselves fully to the God, fully to God, fully to the Lord. And I missed the scripture reference. So was that First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight? Yes. Yeah, it's the last scripture in First okay. Corinthians fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to look that up, and it wasn't working because I don't have the NIV in East Word. I have the ESV, and it has different words. <laughs> Would you like to read your words, First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight? Yeah, fifteen fifty eight in ESV says, "Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable." always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> yeah. So, and you said, read the NIV again. I think you said it. it um, therefore, give my, yourself fully. Yeah, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for reading that and making the point that, you know, emphasizing that our work is, is not in vain. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I believe you called out um, one, of, one of my weaknesses, not as my weakness, but one of my weaknesses is wanting to be um, liked by other people. And so I sometimes hesitate um, to talk about uh, God because I don't want to interfere with that, that liking. Right. I mean, there's nothing and, wrong with cultivating relationships. There's cer certainly nothing wrong with that. But um, probably, as you think about it, you just want to make sure you don't... Uh, look at it as I'm ashamed of the gospel uh, and I don't want other people to not like me because of the gospel because if, if people don't like you because of the gospel then so be it right? there's mm. you know that's okay that's not going to be uh, the worst thing because you know what you a lot of times we could be hung up on people that really you know we you know because we have some interest in you know that particular person or could be a family member and we just cannot get past that but God may have lots of other people for us to <laughs> to go to and witness and then we just can't because we are stuck thinking that this is what we got to do and, and we don't we could just if a person you know like he told uh, the disciples when they went to these towns and they didn't want to receive them what did he say it's just to you know you're dust off your feet and keep on moving right because before you know it there's going to be somebody in your in your path who needs to hear the message of truth so you your job is you know let them let them make the choice give them the freedom to make choices we know it's a free gift we know it's a great deal i know it's a great deal and we want other people to see that hey this is a wonderful thing that we're we're offering it, it's, it's, you don't even have to do anything right but people have to make their own choices 
And we're not the last word on it. Remember, God the Holy Spirit is on the inside witnessing to their hearts. So we, we have to give people, everyone, the freedom to make their own choices. And, uh, and there's, there's a little thing to that, right? We, we say, give them the freedom. You say, well, I give you the freedom. But then, truly, we have to let go in our hearts and allow that person to make choices without any... Um, you know, things in our heart that might say, wait a minute, you're making a wrong choice, you're making a mistake. No, let them make their own choice. God does. God says, whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, he, he's saying that it's, you, ha you have the option to yourself. It, it bears on our volition, whoever yeah. believes. So while we can pray for him, Nothing can stop us from praying for those we love, and we would love for them to come to Christ. But uh, we leave that in the hands of of God and that person. So, um, mm. so part of our I can, I, uh, reticence to I, you know could could also mean that we are in some way trying to hold back because if we let people know who we really are. They might not like us and if they don't like us after we let them know who we are then then that's real isn't it who we really are that's real that's us being who we are and that's what god wants us to be but go ahead you were going to say that that is true um also i think i'm i back down simply because i'm not sure of the strategy involved i'm not sure how to open up the conversation especially if the person confidently says you know something a blanket statement as oh we are all children of god i think we just need to uh, treat each other kindly and you know that's that's my motto for my life and um you know when, when you're with a person directly in front of them perhaps you know you can detect things like body language and is this person open to discussing it further or have they reached the conclusion they don't want to hear another thing about it um, but sometimes over electronic media um, it's hard to determine where the person's at and i'm wondering if i say the wrong thing like you know bring up salvation the person might not even think anything about salvation at all and just might be thinking that, uh, you know, our biggest thing is to uh, be kind. You know, and God, surely God wants us to be kind to everybody. So that's what I'm going to do. And, well, uh, I mean, I agree. I agree that, you know, you could, you know, be in a conversation. But see, what happens is, is people feel it necessary to make declarative statements. And when they make the statements that, speak to um, things that are not true and they speak what they're doing is speaking their mind they're telling you what they believe is in their heart well you know that says to me um, okay so if you're able to share what's in your heart I'm able to also share what's in my heart I think it's fair and I because that's a declarative statement if someone were to say I believe or are all God's children that's not what the Bible says uh, so, so I could 
you you're declaring that and you expecting me to nod to that no i cannot i don't believe that i don't mm-hmm. but i don't want to you know be mean about it or or confrontational but i want to let people know where i stand and that could help them yeah that could help them uh, help them to to, yeah. to see things maybe in a different light than what they see currently so it's possible yeah so Dwight since you if you could could you close us with a word of prayer sure will dear father in, in heaven and father in our hearts um, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have to openly speak about the thing that we believe coming from your word and making reference to your word in the Bible that you have um, you passed down to us through years and generations and thousands of, of years. We, um, we give you special thanks for the time that we have to think about you throughout all of our days and throughout all of our interaction. We ask for strength and, and um, in giving us courage and being bold about doing the work of the Lord. Let us always be grateful and looking for opportunity to share this wonderful news with others. And uh, we pray for all of Water Street Church and, and the church worldwide as well, and pray for the safety of everybody in the, in the face of the, um, this winter storm in the United States, and, uh, especially over in, in Texas, but uh, all of us included. And we pray that, uh, Lord willing, we will meet again uh, to discuss your word even deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Is that correct?